Welcome back to our weekly podcast. We're in week three of a message series called Thriving in the Mess. Throughout the month of August, we're talking about parenting. Being a parent is a blessing, and children are always a blessing. But if we're honest, being a parent is not always easy. In fact, it's often messy. It's hard. For this series, we're talking about some practical truths from God's Word. Truths that will help parents of all ages and stages parent by God's design. If you remember back to week one, we talked about the most important factor in parenting. There are a lot of important life lessons and skills that we can teach our children. But as we go to God's word, we're reminded that the most important factor in parenting is for mom and dad to have a sincere faith in Jesus. Having a sincere faith doesn't mean that you're perfect. There are no perfect parents. It just means that you rely on a perfect Savior. We have a God-given responsibility to impress faith on our children. That word impress doesn't mean to force faith on your kids. It means to have a lasting impression by the way that you live. We always have younger eyes watching us. So it's important that we allow those younger eyes to see that we are not perfect, but that we do rely on Jesus in every area of our lives. Last week, in week two, We talked about parental authority within the home. Authority is never a popular topic, especially as it relates to God's design for the family. But teaching our children to honor and obey our God-given authority actually prepares them to obey God's authority. You can think of your home as a laboratory for learning. God wants our homes to be the training ground for life. The home is where order and structure should come from, and it's where the topics of authority and obedience should first be taught. Today, we're going to continue our series by talking about another important aspect of parenting, and that is learning to parent the heart of our children, not just their behavior. I do want to mention that many of today's points have been adapted from the book, Shepherding a Child's Heart. For my wife and I, this book has made such a huge impact in our parenting. I know it has for many people in our church, so it comes highly recommended. Like anything that we read or hear, it's important for us to test everything against God's word. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21 says, But test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good. This verse reminds Christians that we have a responsibility to make sure that what we take in is from God and not the world. We live in a time when there are many different voices that seek to address every issue under the sun. When it comes to parenting, it's no different. There are an endless number of sources offering advice, parenting tips, and even making truth claims about what right parenting should look like. Because parenting is often messy, it's easy for us to grab a hold of the first resource that we see and then elevate it to truth. Here at OCC, we believe that the Bible is God's revelation to us. The Bible is God's word. In God's word, we learn about how every person has been created as an image bearer of God. We learn about a God who has infinite knowledge and whose word and direction can be trusted in every area of our lives, even as it relates to parenting. When we talk about parenting the heart of our children and not just their behavior, we have to start with God's word so that we have a firm foundation to build from. In his book, Shepherding a Child's Heart, Ted Tripp talks about parenting as though it can feel like a rudderless ship without a compass. What he's saying is that without the right set of tools, we can't expect to get very far. God's word is our rudder. God's word is our compass that we should use as we navigate the difficult waters of parenting. 
So with this in mind, let's jump into our first point. Number one, your child's behavior is a reflection of his or her heart. Proverbs chapter 4, verses 20 through 23 says, My child, pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. Don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart, for they bring life to those who find them and healing to their whole body. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. The book of Proverbs is believed to have been largely written by Solomon, David's son. The purpose of this book is to teach us how to obtain wisdom as we live the life that God has called us to live. A key verse in the book is Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, which says, Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. This verse echoes what we talked about in week one of our series, how the most important factor in parenting is having a sincere faith in Jesus. Having a sincere faith is the foundation for obtaining the right kind of wisdom in our lives, God's wisdom. Proverbs chapter 4 provides a great word picture that illustrates an important truth about all of our lives. And that truth is that our behavior comes from what is already in our hearts. Now, there are other places throughout the word that teach this important truth. Luke chapter 6, verse 45 in the New Testament says, A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And then Jeremiah 17, verse 9 in the Old Testament says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? God's word makes it very clear why we see wrong behavior in the lives of our children. Friends, it's a matter of the heart. Our hearts have been inclined towards sin from the moment we were born. Every person has been born with a sin nature, and we all fall short of God's perfect and holy standard. But... Because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, we can now be made right with God. Romans chapter 5 gives us the best explanation of this. There are nine verses. I want to read them for you today. Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21, says that when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given, but it was not counted as sin because There was not yet any law to break. Still, everyone died from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not disobey an explicit commandment of God as Adam did. Now, Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who was yet to come. But there's a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and a new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, 
many will be made righteous. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So that's a lengthy text, but it's so important in understanding the issue of the heart. These verses bring clarity to the God-given role of parenting as well. They teach us that wrong behavior is never and has never been the main issue. The issue has always been the human heart. My wife and I get sidetracked by our kids' wrong behavior all the time, and it causes us to lose focus of the real issue. For example, we put our kids to bed between 7 and 8 p.m. every evening, depending on their age. They have different bedtimes. We tuck them into bed, and we explain that they're not allowed to get up for any reason other than an emergency, like using the restroom. It's inevitable that one or more of our kids get out of bed to play with toys, sneak into the kitchen for a snack, or just to mess with their brothers. Now, I can relate to this. I remember how hard it was to stay in bed as a kid. I was wired all the time. Sometimes you're just not tired yet. Your body might be tired, but your mind is still wide awake. But Faith and I give them clear instructions, and they choose to disobey those instructions on a daily basis. And when they disobey, it's easy for us to only address the behavior and not take the time to help them understand why they made that particular decision or why they chose to disobey. For many of us, our children's wrong behavior is like a really loud alarm. It's often annoying, and we really just want to do whatever we can to turn it off. But think about the purpose of alarms. They do serve a greater purpose. They inform people, in this case, the parents, of the actual threat or problem that exists. As parents, it's our job to locate the problem and find ways to help our children recognize the problem or the reason for the alarm. So, what's the problem? Well, that leads us to number two. Your child's needs grow deeper than his or her behavior. Wrong behavior doesn't just happen. Every act of disobedience, every outburst of anger or hurtful words that are said reflect what's already going on in the heart. When we decide ahead of time that we're going to address the real need that exists and not just the behavior, we help our children get to the root of what's really going on. You see, if all we're after is a change in behavior, then we're setting our children up to live like Pharisees. If all we ask them to do is fix their wrong behavior, instead of focusing on the real need behind the behavior, we help them develop a counterfeit faith. A great example of this is found in Matthew chapter 23. In verses 25 and 26, this is what Jesus said to the Pharisees and the religious leaders of his day. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? Hypocrites. For you're so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first wash the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will become clean too. Jesus condemned the Pharisees and the religious leaders because they were great at making people think that they were close to God by the way they looked on the outside, by the words that they said, how they dressed, how they carried themselves, but inside their hearts were filthy. Jesus was saying, you can work extremely hard at having the right kind of behavior and still have a heart that doesn't love and honor God on the inside. So if we only address the behavior of our children, 
It's like washing the outside of a cup and leaving the inside dirty. It teaches them that behavior is the main issue instead of a heart that needs to be changed and transformed by Jesus. I don't want you to hear this and think that right behavior is not important. I believe with all my heart that God desires and even commands certain behavior from us. But if all we're addressing is the wrong behavior, then we neglect the root cause of that behavior. When we begin to notice wrong behavior in the lives of our children, our responsibility as parents is to help them ask the right questions, questions that will expose the attitude of the heart that led to that wrong behavior. So consider this scenario as an example of how to ask the right set of questions. And one of your kids decides to get out of bed and steal food from the kitchen after you've already told them they couldn't have any more food that it was time for bed. Now, instead of asking, um, did you steal food? You could ask, why did you decide to steal food? You see, when you skip over the first question, you don't give them an opportunity to lie. You already know that they took the food. They know that they took the food without asking. Another question that moves past the behavior and addresses the heart is, what could you have done differently? This helps them think through right and wrong and helps them consider other options. Choosing to address the heart and not just the behavior, it's not always easy. And that's why I think we often jump straight to the behavior. It's a lot easier to simply turn off the alarm instead of helping them figure out why it keeps going off. But when we take the time to walk our children through these steps, it pays off in the long run. And it teaches them more about how God responds to us when we mess up, when we fall short. Number three, if you're taking notes, your child's discipline should result in discipleship. I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, but the root word for discipline is disciple. We've talked many times about how a disciple is someone who learns from Jesus to live like Jesus. So how we discipline our children should result in discipleship. Um, We're raising disciples of Jesus, not Pharisees. Now, discipline is never fun. I can think back to when I was a kid and had to be disciplined for uh, bad decisions that I made or things that I said. It's a painful process. But when we discipline with an end goal in mind, our discipline results in discipleship. I love something that Leland Sawyer said when his family was visiting our church back in June. Now, Leland is one of our missionary partners. His family lives in Uganda. And talking about parenting goals that he and his wife has, he said, our goal is not to raise a well-behaved 10-year-old. Our goal is to raise a 30-year-old follower of Jesus. So Leland and his wife, they're parenting with the end goal in mind. Hebrews 12 verse 11 says, No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. This section of scripture gives us a clear picture of God's love towards us as his adopted children. The question could be asked, who loves their children more? Parents who allow their children to have wrong behavior without any correction, or the ones who correct, train, and discipline their children so that discipleship is taking place. The verses leading up to verse 11 remind us that God disciplines us as his children. And when we view discipline through the lens of Scripture, we're actually given hope because through God's discipline, we have proof of his love. And through God's discipline, 
We're being taught to live in a way that demonstrates a changed heart. We live in a culture that promotes the idea that discipline is a bad thing. But God's word reminds us that discipline was meant to be good. Discipline should result in discipleship. When it's done right, what should discipline look like within the home? Well, how we discipline should change as our kids grow in age. But there are some key biblical principles that we should always keep in mind. Let me give you three. Number one, try to not discipline out of anger. This is easier if there are two parents in the home because if I'm angry about a certain situation, I'm able to hand the discipline off to my wife. If she's angry, she's able to hand it off to me. Now, I want to remind you, it's okay to be angry about your child's wrong behavior. This is righteous anger, but it's dangerous to discipline them when tempers are hot. It's hard to discipline with the end goal in mind. Now, I know that even within our church, we have single-parent homes, we have blended families, and it's not always easy to discipline in the right way. So I want to encourage you, number one, to pray about these things, but also lean on your church family. You know, if you're a single-parent home, um, remember that God has also given you a church family. Um, Ask questions. Spend time with other couples. Really lean on other people. So try to not discipline out of anger. Number two, ask questions that lead back to the heart. So instead of asking, did you do something wrong, which you already know they did and they know that they did, ask, why did you choose to do what you did? Or what could you have done differently? This addresses the heart and the motives behind the behavior. And then finally, discipline in private so that your kids aren't humiliated. Discipline is supposed to draw our kids closer to us, not push them away. In fact, this is how God disciplines us. And in this way, discipline is discipleship. Screaming and yelling at our kids in public only makes them angry towards us instead of showing them that we care enough to take the time to help them understand the heart issue behind the behavior. It's not always possible to discipline in private. I understand that. Sometimes a kid throws a toy at another kid and uh, discipline is a little more public. But more times than not, this is what's right. Friends, God's word teaches us that all behavior is linked to the heart. If you've been struggling as a parent and you want to see a change, I would suggest three things that you can do today that will help initiate the right kind of change within your home. One, and I mentioned this a few minutes ago, pray about the situation. Pray for your kids. Pray for your marriage. Pray for your home. Philippians 4, verses 6 through 7 says, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He's done. And then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So prayer is not meant to be our last line of defense. It's meant to be our first line of offense. So pray about the situation. The second thing is seek wise counsel. Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. So we need each other. Proverbs 12, verse 15 says, The way of the fool seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. So we need other believers around us. Seek wise counsel. And finally, start with one area of parenting. You know, change is a process. These things don't just happen overnight. So if parenting from a place of anger has been your struggle, work at not allowing the sun to go down on your anger. Work at resolving the issue before you go to bed. If quality time with your kids has been lacking, Decide today that you're going to kill some of the things that are taking up too much of your time. If you're quick to address the behavior and not the heart, write down a game plan for how you're going to take the time that's needed 
to help your children recognize the root cause of their behavior. So what questions will you ask? Is there an ideal location in the house where you can talk? I truly believe that we're called to parent the heart of our children and not just their behavior. As I wrap up the podcast today, I want to remind you that your child's behavior is a reflection of his or her heart, that your child's needs grow deeper than his or her behavior, and your child's discipline should result in discipleship. Friends, remember that you're not alone in your parenting journey. Rely on the Lord and lean on other families in the church as we grow to be the parents that God has called us to be.